we are back with episode 17 of the Between the Lines podcast. After a week full of massive NCAA tournament upsets, we're going to talk about each Cinderella team and how far we think they can go. After that, we're talking some NFL free agency, grading different signings the teams may have made. And to wrap up, we're talking about the NBA. Has it gone soft? I think Liam thinks so. All right, well, we'll start up with some upset alert. This tournament has been overrun with upsets and Cinderella stories. We're focusing on a few teams and talking about the potential futures in the tournament. So we can start with Loyola Chicago. Um, I don't think this was even came as really a Cinderella thing based on how uh, defensively good this team was. And I, I personally think that they were um, underseeded, but I'm interested to hear your picks on how far they can go. Um, they have a very winnable next game against um I think Oral Roberts. And this is a team that's it's really well rounded to play good defense, as you said. And they could definitely sneak back into the final four again because the the conference they were in, it's not very strong. And they they're definitely the next few games are very winnable. Yeah, actually, I, I go ahead. They're actually slated to play uh, Oregon State. Uh, which I think is a much harder matchup. I think they'll still win, but you look after that and it does get significantly harder. Um, I do think that they have the potential with all these upsets to go far, but it's certainly not as likely. I don't think they're a Final Four team again, but Sister Jean, Sister Jean, so who knows? But in the event that they were to win, they'd have to play uh, likely Houston, which would be their, I mean, which would be another hard matchup for them, but they did beat Illinois, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, they they rank one in defensive efficiency in the entire country. I'm not sure how that puts them at an eight seed. Um, so we'll, we'll, even from the start, it's been major bias. Yeah, I agree with you. So uh, I guess the group consensus is maybe Final Four, maybe not, maybe only Elite Eight. But we'll move on to my favorite team in this entire tournament. Oh, Michael, you got anything to say about Loyola Chicago? Yeah, I mean, thanks for skipping over me, but uh, they – I was going to touch on their defense. Um, I like i like their defense. Obviously, you mentioned that it was a number one defense, but uh, I think that they match up very well against Oregon State, and I think they actually, they actually had the hardest division, despite what Liam says. Um, I think Oregon State is very underrated, and even though I like them in the matchup, uh, it's only a bit of a challenge. Okay, now we can move on to Loyola Chicago. Um, this is my favorite team in the entire tournament. Um, the, they, oh, with wins over Ohio State and Illinois, um, I'm interested to think to know what you guys think the ceiling is for this team. I mean, I think you meant Oral Roberts. I didn't um, mean Oral Roberts. My bad. But um, yeah, I'll start so I don't get skipped over this time. Um, I don't. I watched their first game against Ohio State, and they were pretty impressive. I didn't watch too much of the Florida game, but I think if you can beat a two seed and then a seven seed, and be like the, the first fifteen seed, and I don't even know. I think it's the first fifteen seed ever to beat the sixteen, uh, sweet sixteen. It's the second ever. Second. I I knew it was a very small number, but 
I mean, you got to have a special team. So I think this Oral Roberts team has a shot. I don't know what this percentage is, but I think if you can beat these two high seed teams, you, you, you have a shot automatically. I'm going to go ahead right now. I'm going to say the ceiling has been hit. It's done. FGCU was a much, much better team because then that FGCU team they made the Sweet Scheme was much better because they're more well-rounded team. This Oral Roberts team runs solely through one player. Additionally, when you look at their next matchup, they're playing Arkansas. Arkansas averages 82 points per game, which is seventh in the country, higher than anyone they've had to play so far. And you compare that to an Oral Roberts team whose defense is just nowhere near the top of the country. And you have to think, I mean, Arkansas is a well-rounded team. They get guys every year from high schools. They've got Moses Moody coming in from Monteverde. They've got tons of great talent. And Eric Musselman is the better coach. When in doubt, the better coach wins. So I just don't see Oral Roberts going past this round. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually have better coach wins literally written on my planning sheet right now. Um, but yeah, this Oral Roberts team, it like they like to score points. They score a lot of points and their defense lacks. Um, so I think... I think Arkansas has got it, and I, I don't have them advancing past the Sweet 16. Yeah, I, this is a game that Oral Roberts doesn't want to get an offensive shootout because their defense, it's, it's atrocious, and defense wins championships, so they definitely have hit their ceiling. I don't see them getting past this strong Arkansas team. All right, so Oregon State. Um, the Beavers blew out Tennessee. Uh, they also beat Oklahoma State with a potential – first couple of picks pick in Cade Cunningham. Um, I, I guess I could just go first here. Um, Oregon State's a great shooting team. Um, do they play Loyola? Yeah, they play Loyola. But I, play I, have, I have Loyola in this game because of I think Loyola's defense will be able to slow down um, Oregon State's shooters. So um, I have Oregon State losing the Sweet 16. Um, yeah, kind of going off that, I also have Loyola. I think this is an Oregon State team that they just got hot at the right time, and I think eventually they're going to cool down, and I think this is the game that's going to happen. And they're they're really co- well-coached. They're well-rounded, but I just think Loyola's defense is just next level, and I don't know if they have that, like, second-dimensional scoring that's going to be able to like, propel them against. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to have to agree with you guys on this one. It's going to be a much closer game, I think, than people realize. But I think the staying hot has something to do with it. They came in, won the first game, two games of the tournament, and then they're, they're, sitting, they're resting for, I don't know, five days. I think that has something to do with it. And you can't, you can't really stay hot after a long break. Uh, so I'm going to take a little of Chicago as well. Uh, but I, I very much like Oregon State. I like Oregon State a lot, too. But, I mean, there's just so many reasons to bet against them here. One of them, which hasn't even been noted, is that they only have two uh, ten, They only have two scorers that get more than 10 points per game. That's really concerning, considering they play in the Pac-12, which is not known for having tough defenses. But now they're coming in to play the best scoring defense in college basketball, Little Chicago, who only allows 55 points per game. And I can just see that number dropping. It would not surprise me if Oregon State doesn't score 55 points. It really wouldn't. Yeah, another good shooting team like Oregon State is Syracuse. I'm with the Jim Boheim and Buddy Boheim combo. 
Um, they, they've beat number six seed San Diego State and number three seed West Virginia. Um, do you think that, Ryan, we'll start with you. Do you how far do you see this team going? I'm not going to rule out the, uh, Syracuse advancing to the Elite Eight, but my main problem is very similar to Oregon State, in which literally right behind Loyola Chicago and um, points per game allowed is Houston. Houston allows 57.9 points per game. They are, have a stifling defense, and they have all the star power they need to take on uh, Syracuse. And Buddy Behan's great. I'm, I'm not doubting him. But you look at teams that run through – you look at the team so far that have run through one guy or two guys, and they have not done well this March Madness. You look at Oklahoma State has run a lot through Cade Cunningham. They didn't do very well. I mean, you look at all these other teams too. I mean, Maryland generally runs through one or two guys. They made it to the second round, they're done. Florida ran through Trey Mann, they're done. I mean, it doesn't matter how good or bad a team you are, you can only go so far with one guy. And that's kind of their one guy. And I think Houston, they're going to pull a very similar strategy that a lot of teams have done this March Madness, where they're going to play deny defense. And if they can keep their deny defense up, they're going to be good. Yeah, Houston just plays suffocating defense. And I mean... Buddy Beheim justifies all logic, the coach's kid who's actually just an absolute baller. But I think this is a Syracuse team that they're not great defensively, and I think Houston will kind of expose that. So, I, I mean, I think it's a winnable game if Buddy Beheim just gets hot early, but I think Houston is likely going to come away with the victory. Okay. So that's going to wrap up our talk about the Cinderella team's crazy that we're saying teams multiple in this tournament uh, we're moving on to the nfl free agency the top nfl free agents have signed and found their new homes with cap space implications and the team's future in mind we're giving grades on some top free agent signings so we will start with i'm um, actually let's start with kenny galladay and I'll, I'll kick it to liam here um the resident giants fan how are you feeling i'm feeling good i was very excited that they got this deal through um, I was a little bit disappointed. There was 18 mil a year, a little bit overpaid. But, I mean, this is what the Giants needed to get him, I think. And if I were to give this a grade, just thinking about how, how like, he's such a great go-up-and-get-it receiver and how he just brings that third dimension to the Giants' offense and taking the pressure off of Saquon Barkley, I think this is an A-minus signing, and I think it'll definitely help improve their offense. All right, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna try and be a little not like biased here. Um, I like I like Kenny Galladay. I don't like him on the Giants just because the Giants don't have a quarterback. Daniel Jones cannot throw him the ball, and Galladay is great on great. He's like top two, top three contested catches wise, and Daniel Jones is like bottom three throwing catchable balls. So I mean, it it you can't. It doesn't doesn't work. Although Galladay is a great receiver, he's not going to fit into the Giants' scheme. Not even scheme. Like he can't. Like he won't even be able to get the ball. He, his whole deep aspect of the game is taken away by Daniel Jones' lack of ability to throw the ball more than twenty yards. Yeah. One, se- one second. I just want to intervene here. Uh, he was actually the third best quarterback throwing the ball twenty plus yards down the field, completion percentage wise quarterback rating wise so uh yeah I would, did you I would... did you see the this his like catchable balls rate deep it's like bottom three it's but 
his completion percentage, 20 plus yards down the field, it is all top tier. I don't I don't know where you get that stat from, but uh that doesn't seem accurate. Fake news. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I really like the signing. I agree. Um, I think it might be adding on to Liam like a little bit too much for Kenny Galladay, but when you want when you have to go out and get your guy as a franchise, it's it's kinda it's kinda worth it. you gotta spend. Um so no, it's not too much. It's not too much, you don't think so? No, it's a lot. Oh, you if think it's a Stephon lot? Diggs, the the in my opinion, who was the best wide receiver in the league last year, is going to get paid a little over fourteen million dollars this year. Um, you look at Julio Jones, who has been like well renowned for the last like decade as the best receiver, is getting twenty two million a year. You look at Calvin Ridley or Terry McLaurin; they're only getting paid like three million dollars a year. There is zero reason that Kenny Galladay, in a year where the cap is dropping, needs to make $18 million in a year. I like Kenny Galladay a lot. I think if he stays healthy, he's good. But there is zero reason he deserves to make $18 million while the leading while the leading guy in receiving yards and one of the best receivers in the league is only making $14 million in the year. All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I didn't know the statistics on that. But um, let's move on to the Jets, J-E-T-S. Wait, one, um, one second. I found the stat. Okay. He is, he is a 61% on-target percentage when throwing the ball 20-plus yards downfield. That is in the top 10. That is like top seven. 10. That I mean, is so – I you're, you're saying he's dog water and saying that he can't throw the ball downfield. Completely wrong. All right. He's dog water, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Michael, Michael's being impatient because he wants to talk about the Jets. Carl Lawson, defensive end. They just signed him. How do you feel, Michael? I love, love, love that signing, man. It literally just adds a whole, like, 8,000-dimensional aspect to the Jets' defense. Him, Quinn Williams, Foley Fatasuki, and and Carl Lawson is just disgusting. Like, we had no edge rushers, and we, we only had defensive tackles. And so we would get, we would get like, the, the pressure, but we had no one to kind of clean up. So now we have the pressure in a Carl Lawson and it just clears everybody out. Like he's going to get double, triple team and it leaves the defensive end and, and linebackers to just get in there and, you know, do their work. So I don't, I don't really think he was overpaid if we're talking about contract wise, but I think it was an amazing signing and Robert Salah is going to do great things with him. I'm going to go ahead and compare this very similarly to the Gallaudet deal, except I think it's a little bit better. You look right now at the best uh, defensive end contracts or edge rusher contracts. Carl Lawson is, I think, about 15th, which isn't bad because a lot of defensive ends do get overpaid. But there are guys below him who probably deserve a lot more money than he does. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, Daniel Hunter, Matt Judon, J.D. Von Clowney, Yang Ngakwe, the list goes on. There's a lot more guys who could be make Nick Bosa. I mean, there's guys who could totally make a lot more money than Carl Lawson is. I don't think he's overpaid because a lot of those guys are just haven't hit their, you know, they're still in the rookie contracts. But I think that they probably could have lowballed him a little bit, and I think he still would have signed. I mean, you keep you keep bringing up contracts like you don't want to really talk about his stats. Like this guy is a beast. Okay, but what's the only, the only reason? Sacks. The only reason he's leader is he better than the sacks leader? 
No, but but you just have to you have to watch him play to understand how much of an impact he, he makes. Oh, he's, he's on the Bengals. Michael, when is watching him play have to do with stats though? You want to look at stats? Let's look at stats. I mean, he's, he's like, like top ten in pressures. You want to look at stats? He has less sacks than Trey Hendrickson. He's making he was, less. Okay, he was he was eighth in pressures. Yeah, but he's that top is, ten in pressures. Kind of a kind of an empty stat. Pressure doesn't mean sacks. Pressure somebody that doesn't mean there's because he, there's stats. nobody on the Bengals. Gino Gino Atkins. I mean, he and he, oh, like who else? I want to mention one thing, Leonard. So last year, Leonard Williams was oh top ten in the league in pressures, and he had one sack. Pressures is exactly. kind of an pressures empty stat, right? Sack. But how many how many other sacks do the Giants have? That was that wasn't this year. This was the two well, years ago. I kind of want to say like. Stats don't really determine the entire story. I mean, he lost and he generates a lot of pressure. Um, like, and he, he's, he's a force. Um, and he's definitely, I don't know if he's worth all the amount, but he, he's worth a good amount of money, but I like, I like this for the um, Jets defense. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, if you, if you, I probably wouldn't have watched film on him if I wasn't a Jets fan, but if you watch film on him, he's throwing guys around. Like he's literally like, it's, it's just throwing him around. It's just, it just generates so much pressure, and I think it's great for the Jets who desperately need an edge rusher. Well, I mean, if, if you guys want to talk money, um, we should talk about Dak Prescott. This is a massive deal. Four years, 160. Um, I don't even know who, who should, who's best equipped to handle this. Um, Liam has the injured because oh, yeah. get Ryan in we're, we're the, the rest in NFC East fans. Ryan, I want to hear your take first. <laughs> In my opinion, if there are very few positions that I would be willing to pay $40 million for, quarterback is absolutely one of them. I think that, the, I, I mean, when you consider the other options for the Cowboys, the Dak Prescott signing was needed as long as you can think he can come back from that injury, which I'm sure they do now. But I think this was probably a signing they should have made two years ago, back before Dak Prescott decided to take his game to the next level. Are you looking at him before he got injured? He was probably going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league before he got injured. I think that there, I think that there's definitely a reason behind that contract signing. I like it a lot. I just think he probably could have been paid a lot less two years ago. And like I said, I'm not going to, I wouldn't be as harsh on the whole contract worth if it wasn't for the cap dropping this year, because you look at teams like the Saints, they had to, you know, they were, over cap and they had to start, they literally had to cut so many players because they had to get under cap. I don't understand why a lot of teams have been signing guys for like record deals in a year where the cap is dropping. But I think Dak Prescott is one of those players who absolutely deserves it. I actually like him a lot despite him being on the Cowboys. Um, I kind of, I have really mixed thoughts about this deal. I think it's good for the Cowboys to get their franchise guy, but I don't think he is in that top upper tier where he should be paid $40 million. I think that's kind of – that should just be Patrick Mahomes and, like, Deshaun Watson. But I think this, in the long term, could kind of hurt the Cowboys because they have so many massive deals. They're not going to be able to afford quality depth, depth pieces. And if one of these guys goes down, like, like what happened this year, I mean, that could be their season. But I think it's a good – Good deal for the Cowboys. They got their franchise guy. Yeah, I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, I think I'm a big believer that if you if you want somebody, go get them. And but this might be an exception because, I mean, forty over forty million dollars a year for one player, like like Ryan said, Ryan mentioned the cap space did drop. 
I think that's absurd. And I can't believe that they re- they had to negotiate to, to come to that deal. Like there's, he definitely, I feel like he would have taken less money. And I mean, if he didn't, and this was the deal he wanted, I mean, it's just, he's so overpaid in my opinion, because he's very injury prone. I mean, he's not, he's not a top five quarterback. And then, I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Like there's so many people that deserve the contract more. And I mean, he's just not good enough to make 40 million a year. Yeah. But you know, everything's bigger in Texas, even the, even the contract sizes. Um, but I want to move on to talking a little bit about the Patriots. Um, I mean, they, they went off in free agency. They basically signed everyone. Bill Belichick's spending it all. Um, he got his stimmy in the mail. He got his stimmy, and he is sending it to everyone. Uh, but so we could just – I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about the the tight end. Like, are they going to run this two tight end package with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith? Am I, I mean I, – I think they are because they were – with Cam Newton last year, they were pretty much a – they pretty much won the, ran the glorified triple option. Like, they yeah. didn't throw the ball that much. And their tight ends were just flat-out horrible. Like, Devin Asiasi, and uh, I, they got one other guy. He's trash. But Hunter Henry, he's a good young player. He's got injury concerns. I think he's a little bit overpaid. And then Johnny Smith, that contract was just downright horrendous. This is a guy that hasn't had – that hasn't had more than uh, 500 yards in a season. I just don't know what they were thinking when they gave him this deal. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Johnny Smith is a kind of a goal line red zone piece. And then Hunter Henry is your kind of your first, second down tight end. But I think they're going to run a two tight end set. I like both of these tight ends. They're big names and they're pretty, they're both very good. Um, I do agree that they're overpaid, but I don't think money should be the end all be all all things when you talk about a team's potential um so yeah i like i like it like you mentioned the, like a multi-option uh scheme where they can they have both these tight ends and then cam newton has a running threat and then obviously they need to receive that they need to improve their receiving core they got kendrick Bourne, i think um but yeah i like this patriots team a lot i i, I hate that they're in a jets division yeah i Oh, I, I like the scheme, right? Like, I like the two tight end package, the getting big, roll Cam Newton out and toss it to a tight end, big tight end. But I don't really know if these are the guys to do it, especially with how much they're paying these guys. And I know money, if you if you want to get him, go ahead and get him. I get it. But, I mean, they spend more money here than the last 10 years. It's just a colossal, like – Somebody probably thought they had more money than they had. You know, they looked at the Pat's bank account. And they're like, "Damn, uh, yeah, this is a lot of money." I think they, I think both Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith are overpaid. I do like the Jonu Smith signing, but I mean, Hunter Henry, he's not an elite tight end. He hasn't even played a full season. He's just completely injury prone. So that's really where I take my full issue with that. I was about to touch on that. It's great if you can run a two tight end system but you got to have two healthy tight ends to do so. Hunter Henry has literally gotten injured in every single season. And I, uh, I went, I just, uh, before this, I ran on this little, I ran on this uh, website that analyzes your chance, like a player's chance of getting injured this year. Hunter Henry has an 86% chance to miss at least one game due to injury in 2021. He has an 11.6% chance every single game to get injured. His projected games to miss this year is 2.6. 
which is not too much, but it is a, it is a good amount, especially considering he's had multiple. I think that's actually higher. But also, it's Cam Newton. It's Cam Newton. Cam Newton's agent needs to get a raise for somehow yeah. getting Cam Newton. They finessed the Patriots out of $14 million. Yeah, he finessed the Patriots. Cam Newton deserves a, Cam Newton's agent deserves a raise because Cam Newton got paid for no reason. Cam Newton is not good. I, I'm a football team fan. I would not even take Cam Newton right now. They saw Cam Newton yelling at kids, and they were like, I need that man. Oh, yeah, Cam I was getting harassed. At all. Cam Newton, is, all right. Cam Newton is bigger than both of his tight ends. All right. I mean, this, this Cam Newton slander is not – not going so well. I don't really like it. I mean, you gotta forget he's he's still an elite quarterback despite his poor play last season. <laughs> oh, he's man. still good. He's still oh good. Oh my god! Okay, what are you Aside, no, listen, listen, aside, listen, listen. Aside from last season, what was he an elite quarterback? He, he was a while ago. Average. He was five, five aside years from ago. a year ago. Aside from a year ago. I got this. Hold up. Let me give me like two seconds. Okay, okay. you're gonna talk about well, last year's stats. Of course, he's he was awful last year. One of the 2018 with Carolina. Any of them. God, I love pro football football. Okay, sure. There's 2019. We'll do tw- well, 2019 was injured, so I'm not going to do that because that's unfair. The 2018 with Carolina, he had a – he actually had his best completion percentage of the year, but he had one of his lowest yards rating. He had highest touchdowns, but I'm not going to count that as a yeah. bonus. Christian McCaffrey was injured, so oh. you can't – What? What? 2018, Christian McCaffrey was injured. So why does that make it unvalid? Because he has to throw the ball off. Yeah, this, this is a guy who's – he's only gone over 25 touchdowns once. He's only gone over 4,000 yards once. You keep forgetting Cam Newton can run the ball. He's yeah, not like he's just a pocket passer. He okay, can run the man, ball. Uh, okay, he can't run it like he was when he was in his prime. All right, man. He this is, is getting one leg. He hasn't had more than five in four years. All right. How many yards? <laughs> he has but broken seven hundred rushing yards, yards in a season in more than in four years. It's been all right. Let's move it on. Let's. Yeah, yeah this isn't on. the Cam Newton podcast. Keep it rolling. The combination of refs over involvement and players flopping is turning off NBA fans and sparking huge debate. The crew gives their thoughts on the NBA and has it gone soft. Start with you, Alex. Now let's start with Liam. Liam's the oh, one yeah, who thinks Liam. the NBA is soft. This the NBA is softer than a fucking throw pillow. Pardon my language. I have some of these fa- some of these flops and some of these foul calls are just outright they're just outrageous. The NBA needs to step in and they need to first thing they need to penalize players for flopping consistently. Players like Kyle Lowry should not make a should not make a career out of just taking two charges a game and being able to score like 20 points a game they need to they need to take charge they need to make a change the rules or something train the refs better but this is the league that it's pretty much just controlled by players like trey young that are just getting all the free throws flopping all the time and it's just soft yeah i i I disagree with you that they they have taken some initiative so i've watched a couple games where they They've given out, I don't know what they are, not warnings, technical somethings for flopping. But yeah, I know they give you like a warning. I think if it's two warnings, you're out or something, or two warnings at the tech, something like that. But I, I agree that you can't, I think taking 
flopping is kind of the equivalent to taking a charge in a way because if you're getting fouled you get like shots if you're not getting fouled you don't get anything so if i mean it's just there's got to be somewhere to make it equal so maybe they count like a flop as like a foul or a turnover or something like that um i mean i'm just i'm just throwing out ideas here but they did it is too soft and it's more than it's inconsistent um they're not they're not making it's not like equal yeah um i i agree with you i actually don't watch a ton of nba basketball um i, I actually like college better but that's a conversation for another day um yeah i think a lot of these players are kind of soft like if you compare the game how it was in the 90s um you got people like literally pushing each other like it was even, too even parts of the early 2000s like the ben wallace era yeah i don't know yeah like you look at like the the bad boy pistons you know when you can you talk about that when they played mj um they would never i mean they, they wouldn't call any fouls on that team i might be biased because of mj but i mean they had people just like pushing shoving hacking like there's this one picture where mj's going up for a layup and there's like hands on his face so i think i think that's that's too much but i think we need to find a middle ground between there and where we are today versus like where every layup is a foul uh, i got i got i got a stat right here so kareem abdul-jabbar played 20 years in the nba he shot 9304 free throws moses malone played 21 years in the nba he shot 11,864 free throws. James Harden has only played 11 years in the league, and he's already at 7,618 free throw attempts. He will have well surpassed the record if he plays the amount of years that Wilt Cham- or that Wilt- that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Moses Malone did. And keep in mind, we're not even we're not even including the years where they played in the ABA. This is in the NBA, and so there's they shot way more. This is absolutely crazy. Players like James Harden, Trey Young was mentioned, Kyle Lowry's mentioned. They basically make a living off of falling on the floor. That's sorry, it, it's yeah, ridiculous. Um, another thing is I think eventually, like just the average NBA fan is going to get sick of these, these like pretty much all offense games where it's like 135 to 140 they're eventually they're gonna start losing ratings and i think they're gonna need to that's gonna be like a rude awakening because they've i know a few years back they changed the rules a little bit to create more offense and i think they need to kind of find a middle ground between those days of like 79 to 80 and now where it's like 120 points per game yeah. I completely agree. As a Wizards fan, it's horrendous watching my team go out there every single night and literally allow 130, 140. They allowed 131 points to the Knicks. I know the Knicks are better this year, but it's the Knicks. They are de- they are allowing more than 120 points per game. That is absolutely crazy. Just 20 years ago, it would be like a high-scoring game for someone to get 120, not an average game. Even the best defense in the league right now, the New York Knicks, is allowing 105 points per game. Yeah, that's Basketball crazy. Basketball is not meant to be played in three digits. Yeah, yeah, it kind of it kind of ruins the the game because like players are kind of like players stand there and they're like, "Damn, I don't want to get called for a foul." So 
I mean, they just sit there, they let them score, and it's just like an offensive fully game. Does anybody have the refs any calling unnecessary else? technicals? Rolling the ball to a ref, tee them up, you're out of here. Oh, there was a funny video where Nick Nurse, I think it was, was right next to the ref, and they were literally having a side-to-side conversation, and the ref just texts him up. Um, like, they're just talking. It's, it's bad. Yeah. So before we wrap up, um, I want to talk about our leaders in our March Madness pool. Um, number one, uh, we have Jessica Klein, Liam's sister. Uh, I'm not sure Liam would love it if his sister won, but that's all right. And then tied for first, we have ESPN fan 09667. I have no idea who this is, but uh, DM us on Instagram if yeah, so we can shout you, you out. Number three, we have two the max. I'm back Simmons. Then fourth, we got Aaron Michaels. Um, former member of former the podcast. Former member of the podcast. So that's so we'll we'll update you weekly on our top three people. All right. Well, uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in. We want to thank Ryan for being on and being a quick um, addition today when we thought Mike was going to oversleep the entire podcast. Uh, but thanks for tuning in, taking next week off. But we will be back with more coverage from around the sports world in two weeks. Thank <laughs> you.